just a side comment before I begin uh, talking about the main message for today. It's been interesting as a pastor to hear my colleagues talk about their great uh, hesitation and their great, I don't want to say fear, that's too strong of a word, but their anxiety about trying to do something with the technology without anybody present. And I guess I, I, wasn't, I was never worried about that because what I love is that I can imagine all of us worshiping together. I can imagine all of us. And I can imagine you, those who are identifying yourselves online, I can, I can imagine you in your home, sitting around your table or around a phone or around a computer, um, just enjoying each other and praying together with us. And so I, I'm just so glad that you've chosen to be with us today. So thank you. It's a great honor to lead worship today. A couple of weeks ago, I said in our first, um, I think it was the first Sunday in Lent, or of Lent, in Lent, I said that the wilderness can appear at any time. And boy, was that spot on. The wilderness can appear at any time, and, and for many, this, this particular situation in the world and now, as we face it here in our country, more fully, for many people it feels like a wilderness experience. It, it, the wilderness is disorienting because it doesn't look the same as our normal, everyday environment. We're all being asked to do things differently. We're being asked to physically distance ourselves from each other. Another aside, I'm not a big fan of the word social distancing. As a great theologian in my house, Noah Morgan, uh, has said it, we are already quite socially distant in our world, uh, and with technology we seem to get more and more socially distant from each other. What we need to be is socially closer, but in this time a little bit more physically distant just to protect ourselves from infecting each other and, 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 and spreading this infection. Fast, too fast. But as we physically distance each other, it feels, it does feel a bit, a bit different than normal kinds of greetings that we, that we give each other. Um, in, in, especially in, say, the, the NA or the AA communities, you know, in AA it's a handshake, in, in NA it's a hug, like it's a full-on embrace. And so in those communities, to suspend that feels very, very awkward. Because it feels like you're not acknowledging another person. And so we're going to need to find new ways to acknowledge each other. Some people have joked, you know, we should, we should give the Vulcan sign. I don't know how many of you can do that. When I was a kid, I practiced that over and over and over. And so I've been joking, we should mix our metaphors, and we should say, Nanu, Nanu. <laughs> and if you're old enough to know where Nanu, Nanu comes from, then that's saying something for those of you who aren't. Look up Mork and Mindy, and you'll figure it out. Joking aside, the wilderness is disoriented. It, it throws us out of our regular paths. Again, teachers are having to learn how to teach in a different way. 
in this in these next two or three weeks. They're still having to be teachers, but just in a very way, students are having to learn a different way of being students. Pastors are having to learn a different way of being pastors. I mean, we're just we're all we're all in the same boat in a sense. We're all in this together. I love that hashtag that's that's come out. But we are a bit in the wilderness. And the wilderness can isolate us. It can push us to the edges. But for people of faith, for people who follow Jesus, it ought to draw us together. This is a time over in history when Christians shine. When we step up and step out, not foolishly, but we take our lives in our hands and, and we decide how are we going to serve in this particular time. During many of the great plagues and many of the great afflictions over time, it is, it is Christians who actually stayed and cared for other people's families at the risk of their lives because other people had abandoned their families and their loved ones. And so I'm not saying that we need to rush in foolishly into places and infect people and, and, and that sort of thing. And again, unless you're called, unless that's something that you are called to do in some particular way. But we are called to figure out how to live in this wilderness in a, in a little bit different way. But we can only do that, we can only do that if as we're being emptied, as we, as we feel as we feel like separated from people, and as we, we make it feel a little bit empty, that we would allow ourselves to be filled by God's Spirit. That we would grow in faith and trust in God in such a way that, that all of our preconceived notions about things we might set aside, and, and we might be filled in such a way so that we begin to continue to see things from God's perspective. So I want to talk about this, this scripture passage it's such an interesting passage, especially if you read in Matthew, or read in John, excuse me, if you read in John, what happens right before this, Jesus meets with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, is a valued leader in the Jewish community. He's, he's thought of very highly, you know, but he comes to Jesus in the dark. Jesus then has to leave that place, and, and it sounds like kind of quickly, because they, they find out about him, and he, and he maybe is fearing a bit for his life, and, and he believes it isn't his time. And so he, he needs to leave where he is, and, and he decides to go through Samaria. Well, this doesn't sound like a big deal to us, because we, we don't understand the political ramifications, we don't understand the, the cultural ramifications of this, but the Samaritans, the Samaritans, were really relatives of the Israelites. They were part of the northern tribes that, in a sense, broke off after Solomon died. And then they were also part of the remnant that was left behind when one of the occupying powers took everybody and put them into exile. They were some of the ones who were left behind. Their worship was different than, than the Israelites and the Hebrews. They were much more focused on some of the early, early Torah teachings. They were much more focused on Moses and looking for a Messiah to come in the line of Moses, whereas the Jews were looking for a Messiah to come in the line of David. And so, because, it's sort of like, in a sense, the Hatfields and McCoys, and more of a, more a 20th century sort of way of talking about things, they didn't like each other. 
And they didn't just not like each other. They didn't interact with each other. Jews, Hebrews, would go around Samaria in order to get to wherever they were going. Even if it was just, even if you could draw a direct line and get through, they would go around Samaria. It'd be like us going around West Virginia to get to Indiana or something. Like, it seems sort of silly, but that is what they did because they just believed you shouldn't come in. To, to come into contact with them would be to made up, be made up clean. They were seen as, as not good people. And so it's interesting that then John recounts this story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. And then, of course, we have a story of the Good Samaritan later that is told, that Jesus tells, one of the parables that he tells. So Samaritans figure prominently in, 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 in the Gospels, in a sense, where they shouldn't have. Because they are outside of the covenant, at least to most of the Jewish thinking. So Jesus is coming through Samaria. That's a long introduction to this. But Jesus is coming through Samaria. He's, he's thirsty, so he sits at the well. Um, and this is supposed to be the well that, 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 that one of the wells that, that Jacob has dug. And when I was in Israel, I, I got to go see what, we, what they believe. And the archaeologists believe that it actually is Jacob's well. Um, it's, in the, it's in the bottom of, of an Orthodox church, and so you have to, you have to go in and walk down, and, and this church has, has some history about it. The, the priest there, at one time during, during the revolution, was killed. He was, this is horrible, he was hacked to death by, by axes. And so there are pictures, paintings of, of this insurrection inside the building. It really gives you a sense of of, of just awe and wonder at the territory and how it has been fought over over the years. But we went to Jacob's well. Of course, you could buy a little thing of Jacob's water, which I did. But what's interesting is to learn about that there are still Samaritans in the region to this day, and they still worship on Mount Gerizim. They still hold to some of the old traditions. And so Jesus is coming through, and, he, and he's at Jacob's well, and, and he's there, and it's noontime, and, and, and a woman comes, and he asks her, because she's coming to draw water, he asks her to draw him up some And this breaks all kinds of social convention. One, he's a Jew, he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, he's a rabbi, he's a man, and she is a Samaritan, She's a woman, and we come to find out where she's had five husbands. <laughs> so there, there are all kinds of cultural assumptions, all kinds of gender assumptions, all kinds of, of things going on here that Jesus immediately breaks just by speaking to her. I mean, just by going through Samaria and now speaking to this woman, he breaks all kinds of assumptions, and we, and we, and we believe that this is part of Jesus ending up going to all the world. That his message, even though he says in this thing that the salvation comes through the Jews, that we believe that this is part of how Jesus is also teaching us that we cannot let our cultural, our gender, any of those assumptions that we have keep us from sharing with people that we maybe don't understand or don't know, that we need to be willing to engage with them. And so he comes, and, and there's this whole discussion about the water and the living water, and of course she's a little bit confused. 
used because she's thinking he's talking about the well. How are you going to get water? You don't have a bucket, uh, all this sort of thing. But she begins to come around to this idea because they're from not completely different worlds, but very different cultures and very different ways of thinking about who the Messiah is supposed to be and, and who is coming. But she has this in her mind because they also taught that a Messiah was coming. And that this Messiah would lead them in all truth and, and would bring things back in its fullness. And so Jesus talks about that living water. And about how he is that living water. And that when he comes, that we are given the spirit in such a way that when we feel empty, and when we empty ourselves to create space for God, that the Spirit can fill us up to break boundaries, to reach across to people that we don't know or don't understand, to share with them the grace and the love of God. That when we are filled, we can give others what they need and what they seek. That we can become conduits of that Spirit of living water. That we, in the face of, of fear and anxiety, we are filled up with the spirit of truth and of grace and of faith and of trust in such a way that we show the world what it means to be those people of faith, what it means to be people of God, who trust not in our own kind of cultural things, not, not, in, not in our own will, not in our own control, but that we trust that God is in the midst of everything. That God, in the midst of the desert, in the midst of the wilderness, is walking with us and is drawing us together and is giving us exactly what we need in order to be the people of God. What's so amazing about this story is that she really becomes the first evangelist. So here is the Samaritan woman, well, a woman, a Samaritan, becomes really one of the first evangelists to go off and to say, could this be the Messiah? He's told, he, said, he said everything about me. He, he's told me things that, that I didn't understand. He's explained some things to me. Could this be the Messiah? Could he be the one? And she goes and she gets her friends and neighbors to come and believe in him. And that means then that Jesus stays for a longer period of time and they become to believe in him. This very unlikely woman, this very unlikely person in a very unlikely time, in a very unlikely place, has an encounter with Jesus that changes her life, and we believe the life of her community and probably the life of Christianity and the movement of faith. The other part that's interesting about this is Jesus, they, they the, the Samaritans and the Israelites debated about where they should worship. For the Samaritans, it was not Gerizim. For the, for, the, for the Israelites, it was the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, there's going to come a day, basically, when you're not going to worship on either of these mountains. Either of these mountains are not going to necessarily be the place for worship, but you will worship in spirit, and in truth. And so while today we still build these grand cathedrals and these grand churches and these big buildings and, and all of that, we can worship in spirit and truth 
even in a lifestyle, even in our own home. Because the Spirit has been given to us by God, that Spirit of living water. And so that no matter where we are and what we're doing, whether we, whether we feel like we can gather together in a large group or not, we can worship God in spirit and truth by allowing God to fill us, to walk with us in these wilderness times, to give us the words and the will to serve God with all that we are and all that we have. And so I pray that you, that we, would become filled with God's spirit in this wilderness time. That we would be filled with truth and with love and with light and with grace. That we would come to hold on to things even more lightly, but take the gospel even more seriously. To love God, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves. May you be blessed as we walk together through the wilderness. Amen.